got high hopes for this beer. We'll see. <laughs> we say that every week, though. <laughs> we yeah. The, the only real failure was the... Uh, the waffle. The wa- waffle. At least it wasn't waffle. waffles and fried chicken. What was that called? Waffle sauce. Yeah. Worst beer ever. Good afternoon, yeah. everybody. Episode 21 of the yeah. American Craftsman Podcast. Yeah. Wasn't, Thank you, wasn't sure if I had um, updated that on the top of the sheet. Man, another banner week at Green Street, huh? Yeah, yeah, a lot a lot going on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a whole lot. Yeah, it feels like the uh, mood in general, you know, out there in the world is shifting a little bit, a little bit more positivity, a little bit more uh, openness, I'll say. You know, people starting, either it's, you know, the sense that winter... Even though here in the Northeast, it's a long time before it ends. But, you know, yeah. we got over that January hump, more or less. Mm-hmm. February is usually the coldest, coldest month around here. Yeah. yeah. But we've been lucky. It's been miles. Yeah. Starting anticipating spring. Maybe for those of you who are interested in getting a vaccine, that comes up on the horizon. Yeah. And, you know, starts giving people a little bit more willingness to, you know, shop and do things. Yeah. You guys might notice a bit of a set change this week. Oh, yeah. That's right. This is the um, the wall we've been working on with John, John Peters, mm-hmm. and Sauce hinges. So this is actually this door. I won't push it in because then it'll be... Oh, wait, no, it is still open. Yeah. So that's actually a door that goes in, and Rob's got one over here that goes pulls out. Yeah. For your secret rooms. Now I'll crush my fingers trying to close it. Yeah. I see what I'm gonna do. I'll stand up. So yeah, this wall is for the the uh, their new hinges, the 518. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they've been around for a little bit. They're not like brand new; like they're already out. Um, but they're the 518 hinges, so you can actually, like on this one, the trim is attached to the wall, and on that one, the trim is attached to the door, and it can still open without binding. So right. It's That's- pretty. Pretty cool. That's the big thing, how it projects the the door out of way. So like a crank have, hinge yeah. kind of on a cabinet. Yeah, it, it was pretty cool. It was yeah. a nice project. Yeah, so I think Friday we'll wrap up the video. We'll get this crated up and out to sauce. Yep. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, let's not waste any time. Let's get into the beer of the week. Yeah, I'm kind of thirsty. So continue the trend of I like the idea of a of a one larger bottle of beer and then... I'm sure we'll run out of ideas and then <laughs> we'll go to another one. Yeah. So this week we have a beer from Paradox Beer Company. They're in Colorado, I believe. Uh, yeah, Divide, Colorado. Wonder if they're by. There's a brewery called Great Divide. Yeah. Um, this is Pina Cielo. That means pineapple sky. Wild sour ale brewed with pineapples and Ceylon cinnamon aged in wine barrels. Then it says Paradox Fermentation, bottle conditioned. And I think over here it kind of gives you a spiel, yeah. Our ever-evolving mixed fermentation, aging, and blending processes integrate a spectrum of lab-isolated and wild Brettanomyces, Saccharomyces, Lactobacillus, and Pediococcus. This rare beer honors the relative uncertainty of each season through rigorous quality and testing and ongoing vigilant experimentation to yield an interpretation that could only be produced by us 
here and now, crafted with passion, patience, and palate under one ethos, unflinchingly wayward. I got a question. Except for us, who do you think reads that? (laughs) Well, if you're drinking this beer, I think that you might be. They're a clean energy partner certified, independent craft brewing, and Colorado craft brewing. So this is from uh, 10 2017 It's aged on American oak. Nice. Yeah. Oak. I like the label there. It reminds me of like a pirate ship and a, like Day of the Dead sort of thing. Yeah, it's got like a sugar skull and um, mash paddles. Those are That's what they use to stir the mash as they're oh. cooking the beer. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's cool. It's a common sort of, um, that's what I'm looking for. Like iconography yeah, of the brewing. Symbolism. Kind of, yeah. Number 57. Whatever yeah, that means. Yeah. Crack it open. We got the bottle opener here from Keith, 2-Bit Woodworks. Thanks, Keith. How's the shoulder, Keith? Yeah, I spoke to Keith about a week ago. Wow, that smells sour. <laughs> Send your glass over this way. Let me move this microphone. Mm. I like the way it looks. I like the way it sounds going into that glass, too. Yeah, can we get that on the mic? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe you can increase the volume in uh, post-production there. Yeah, but... Well, let us know how that sounded and it did the the sound of this microphone moving around <laughs> ruin your ears yeah it's some nice foam on there too this got a serious head on it yeah big bubbles what's that from carbonation well, that's some the, thick looking foam too yeah the size of the bubbles I think has to do with the yeast different yeast make different wow. Like a champagne yeast, I think, has more fine bubbles. I mean, look at look at how thick that foam is. Yeah. It's a vigilant head. <laughs> I was about to say something. But we we lose our G rating. We're gonna lose the Disney sponsorship. <laughs> I was going to say, I knew somebody. That's what <laughs> that's what Frank Carpenter13 says. He says, I'm going to lose my Disney sponsorship. <laughs> going back to my musician days. A groupie. <laughs> I've heard that adjective before, but never, never when speaking about a beer. <laughs> Nice bottle too. It's got the uh, yeah the thumb yeah, yeah thumb pour. Uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you? There you go. A lot of good things come out of Colorado. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers to you. You gotta get through this foam. I don't even know if I got to the beer. That's crisp. Wouldn't you say? Mm. I could definitely taste some pineapple. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, I like it. Woo. Got a little funk to it. Yeah, yeah. 
Plus, it's really cold. We stuck it in the freezer. Yeah. I have foam all over my lip. <laughs> well, as it does every week, that leads us into the tool of the week. Yeah. What do yeah. you got this week? Well, I have this new razor knife. Um, I wanted to go for something a little bit heftier, a little bit uh, more, you know, uh, easy to hold for, for putting pressure on. So we got this, uh, how do you say it, stall wheel or stall while? Yeah, stall while maybe. I don't, I'm not sure. You know, sure. it's German. Yeah. Um, it's an 18 millimeter uh, razor knife, you know, with the 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 breakable blades. You, you replace them by, um, you know, just snapping off the tip. It's got a little lock feature here. And this casing is aluminum. So mm-hmm. it's like this, you know, two-piece cast thing and got it's like got like rubber yeah, over rubberized grip it's yeah. 18 millimeter it replaces nice. my old alpha which is still good for stuff it's nine millimeters but you see the blade is is literally half the size yeah um and this is cool because it's it weighs nothing you know you could this is you stick it in your pocket you don't even know it's there that you could definitely knock somebody out with this thing <laughs> yeah that's definitely a heavy duty tool it weighs a half a pound maybe yeah I like it because you could lock the blade pretty easily. You know, once you get that muscle memory going about which way does, you know, the things you want it to. Yeah. And if I wanted to get a new knife also because it fits into my apron better. Uh. (laughs) You got some space to fill up. Yeah. Well, this one, this one was so tiny, it would literally slid through the slot that I had reserved for the knife. You know, because there's no bottom on it. Yeah, well, you went from using a regular... Um, I had that Milwaukee flip-out. Yeah, one. like a utility knife yeah. to a smaller one, yeah. so it wasn't it wasn't quite suited right. to the, uh, the apron. But this thing's nice. Yeah, that's sweet. Um, it, it does, it, you know, it's got real heft to it. Yeah, in my, uh, like, sight work belt, I have that big Stanley, yeah. which is like a similar size and weight to that. I like... I like having a heavy-duty knife for that kind of stuff. Cutting yeah. shims. Sometimes you cut the fat end of a shim. Like, you really want to be able to yeah. bear down on that. Right. And that's what I like the lock for, too. Mm-hmm. You know, you feel a little bit safer pressing. Yeah, it's yeah. It's not going to go in. You also have that really nice knife, too, that uh, for the job site. That's uh, what I'm talking about, that Stanley. Didn't you have um, a Japanese knife? Mm, I've had a Tajima, like a blue, yeah. a blue one. Yeah, but it was I too thought. small. Like the body uh, was like maybe two thirds the size of that, yeah. and it just like gets lost in your hand. That's what I was thinking of that thing. Yeah, uh, so it's gone. Well, we're gonna give this, you know, put it through its paces here in the shop. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty confident it's gonna be a keeper, but you, you never know what us. Yeah. We're a fickle crew. <laughs> yeah, it takes some time sometimes to to find out the you know the nuances and what doesn't work. Yeah. Plus, we're not above just getting new no. stuff if we find something that's, you know, it's well made. We, we like to su- support companies that are, you know, either um, you know, run, they're th- that they're not part of a huge corporation. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be a, a cottage industry type of thing, but we like to support smaller companies. Stall wheels probably... You know, compared to American companies like Stanley, it's probably small. Oh, yeah. But it's a major manufacturer for German stuff. Yeah, and um, they care. You can, yeah. You can tell because it's a nice, 
Exactly. We have, that wasn't any more expensive than... No, that's the shocking thing. It was, what, 25 bucks or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it isn't more expensive. No. And so, and it goes to support local workers in that local town. Yeah. And even if it's over there in Germany, it's still the same principle. Right. Nice. Actually, I have a little tool, not a tool of the week, but I yeah. have these new 1620 pants on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're big, we're big fanboys of the 1620 yeah. now. <laughs> 1620, we talked about them briefly before, but they're a company up in Massachusetts. And uh, so they're a workwear company. They make pants and, and um, I don't know if they make shirts, but they make sweatshirts and jackets and vests. And vests. Um, all the material is made in the U.S. All of the stuff is all the final product is made in massachusetts mm-hmm. um i think the fabric is all coming from north carolina they have yeah. two kinds this is called the tweave so this is like a super stretch yeah so i recently got some of the true work the t1s and the t2s i thought they were stretchy <laughs> this is like tw- maybe twice as stretchy and it doesn't have that swishy sound yeah yeah um it's, they're still rugged i mean they I don't know how, but they guarantee this stuff for life. Yeah, everything is custom hem too. So, like, if you're short like me and you like to wear a 29, <laughs> you can get whatever waist size and and inch by inch, 29, yeah. 30, 31, 30, whatever. Yeah. Um. So that's really nice. I mean, they're not cheap, but again, it's going back to like the st- the stall wild knife. These are supporting real people. A couple yeah. hours north, you know, five hours north of us up in Massachusetts. They're Buying stuff made in North Carolina, sending it to Massachusetts, making it, and then sending it out to the end user. Oh, yeah. We beat this topic up a little bit, but all that money stays in the community. Yeah. And it's good for us. It's good for all you listeners out there. It really is. Yeah. Like, I like those True Work pants. They're very comfortable. Um, But, you know, I got them and then I look inside and it says made in Bangladesh and it's like a total <laughs> and those are $70 pants. Yeah, right. Now granted these are $200 pants. Yeah. But think about it. Yeah. The difference in cost between making something here and making something in Bangladesh and just right. putting it on a boat and sending it here. Yeah. Hey, people just need to think how much do I earn per hour? What is my time worth? Guaranteed for life. Yeah. These pants. Yeah. yeah. Your your T1s aren't guaranteed for life. No. And I'm not knocking true work. Because I have I have two pairs of true work and I wear them, um, but I'm just saying, you know, think think about dropping the extra money on a on a good pair of pants. Yeah, I'm I'm a true convert. So's the wife. She keeps saying, "Did you order another pair of those pants?" <laughs> yeah, my wife actually got me these for my birthday's coming up. We're horrible with gifts, so I opened them a week early. She got me a hoodie too. I had to send it back to exchange for a bigger size, yeah, but yeah. and they actually they'll repair stuff. Yep. Um, and they actually like their stuff is so heavy duty that if people send it back, like they wore it and it turned out that they didn't like it or something, they actually will resell. Yeah. Like they'll take them, repair anything that needs to be repaired, clean them and then sell them. Yeah. They have a used stock. Yeah. Uh, they have a cooler name for it than that, but yeah, I can't yeah. remember what it was. I forget what it's called. But yeah, really nice guys. I spoke to Josh. He's one of the owners. Um, talked to him on Instagram a couple weeks ago. Nice guy. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you're listening, even if you don't think you're in the market for a pair of work pants, check it out, 1620. Yeah, I think it's 1620usa.com. Cool, cool. All right, tools of the week. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we're up to the gripe of the week already. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, today is our recycling day here in uh, this part of Middletown. Pretty good tasting, right? Yeah. And this is this is my petty gripe now. We used to have garbage men that would come and you'd see them and you knew them and they manually picked up the pail and in the summertime we'd wait up early in the morning and we'd give them cards with, you know, money in it and stuff like that. And it was it was a cool thing because it, maybe you had something extra, you slipped them a little extra money, <laughs> you threw it in the truck. <laughs> but in in, the, in their efforts to keep driving the cost down, now we have the garbage truck. Boy, the squirrels are going crazy, oh, huh? Yeah. We have the garbage trucks now. It's run by one guy, mm-hmm. and like the arm comes off, grabs the can, and dumps it in the back. Now, this is my gripe. The the can doesn't always get emptied. Yeah. Like a bag could be jammed in there or something. And then the, the guy doesn't get out of the truck. And if the truck's kind of full or midway, they can't really tell by the sound. Yeah. I'd be surprised if they could tell at all. Right. And because they don't know how much garbage you have in there either. So we have to call, say you didn't pick up the garbage. And because the cans have this little tag on it, like this little electronic thing that tells them that you know they came and got it they say oh no we got it but if you didn't empty the pail is it empty or is it not empty you know they're not paid to just drive by and try to empty my garbage they're paid to come take it away yeah it's it's one of those things it's a trade-off for you know i guess a it's faster so that means that the truck is can do more in in less amount of time it's running less fuel, yeah, less pollution, you know, uh it's mostly two less guys working. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just not I'm not looking at yeah. just the financial the like the financial yeah. uh benefit for the company. Yeah. I'm talking just in general, um, like better for the environment because there's yeah. le- you know, they're not sitting there idling well. Right. Um so yeah, it's a trade off between that efficiency and the inefficiency of maybe not all the garbage getting dumped out. Yeah. So my gripe is with the automated garbage pickup. I want the old thing back. I want my garbage men. I want my garbage men back. That's it. (laughs) I hate to break it to you. You're not getting them. Uh, You'll be lucky if there's a guy driving that truck in a year. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It's just going to be a Tesla... Garbage. Hopefully, it's a nickel of garbage truck, so yeah. my fucking stock goes back up. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I mean, first they take away the cashiers. Luckily, yeah. they're not totally gone yet. I don't want to check myself out. I and half the time it's you do something. It's like wait for the attendant, and then they gotta yes. come over. So that's my that's my sub gripe. It's with the cashiers. I want the people there. I want yeah. these things. I'm. You know, listen, I'm 58. I'm going to be 59. It's, it's tough to adapt to all these changes. Yeah. Some I'm happy to adapt to. I mean, I, I love my phone and I love all this technology that I can, uh, you know, learn the parts that I can learn. But I, I want the guys and the women back at the position. I like, you know, how's it going today, Marge? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. You know? Oh, did you see that so-and-such is on sale? Oh, let me go back and get that. Well, all these sort of 
I, I was going to say menial, but that's it's not it's a not good even term. That. All of these, um, lo- I don't there, want to word this without. It's a service job. Yeah, like that, these just sort of basic service industry jobs have been um, degraded to such a point that you know the qualifications to have one have gotten so low that now these people are being replaced by a, a robot by a computer. Yeah. Um, you know, you used to be able to make a living as the cashier at Shoprite. That's right. Now you're lucky if you're getting ten bucks an hour. Yeah, they that's what they did. They drove the wage down to such a point to make that job not really enticing. And it's not even enticing. It's just if you have it, you can't, you can't survive. Yeah, so that's what I mean by that. It's like you're going to put in your 40 hours and still, you know, not be getting by. Right. Then you have to have a second job mm-hmm. and then yeah, then your first job gets, um, you know, you're sacrificing the quality of your performance at the other, at both yeah, jobs. Forget about home life. Yeah. Fuck those kids that you got. <laughs> they don't need to see mom or dad. <laughs> That's why they're not doing well at school. Yeah. It's a complicated issue. Yeah. We don't preach on it too much. <laughs> you know what my gripe of the week is? People that drag their feet. Oh, yeah. Foot draggers. Yeah. Procrastinators. You got something to do and you just don't do it at the expense of everybody else. Yeah, that's the problem with procrastinators. They're so wrapped up in their own stuff that they don't they don't even think about the ramifications of their actions. It's, yeah, must be nice. That's right. It's a it's you know quite an inconsiderate position to take, but yeah, uh, we can't change the world, can we? We digress. No, yeah. Let's get into these questions. All right, we're we're gonna lead off with Dave again. <laughs> he had a funny one last week about our our workout. Um, it's actually funny. I just I started going to physical therapy this week, so I am doing a little <laughs> bit of working out for my knee. Yeah. Um, David wants to know from DW's Remodeling on Instagram, did you guys hoard toilet paper? <laughs> David, we didn't have to because the way my wife shops, <laughs> and Jeff will attest to this, you go down, we have an unfinished basement in our old house, but you go down there and there's some old wooden shelves and there are more paper towels and toilet paper and batteries of like every a, size. Like a bodega down there. Yeah. <laughs> if there was like a cat sleeping on the yeah. counter. So there was there was no hoarding needed. If anybody in the neighborhood came knocking at the door and needed a roll of toilet paper. Yeah, I think she actually floated me a roll or two. See, my my wife and I, we didn't hoard toilet paper, and we missed the yeah. opportunity. It blew yeah. right past us. Yes. We made it to the point where um, we were beg, borrowing, and stealing to get a roll of toilet paper before we got more. And then we got the most horrible toilet paper ever. Yeah. It used to be paper towels, but then they, yeah. they repackaged it. Yeah, yeah. No, they were, you know, like the kind that you could see through, like these paper towels we have here. Yeah. That's why we have this, we have a center, it's called a center pull uh, paper towel dispenser in the shop, which is, um, excuse me, if you ever go to like a public restroom, sometimes they have this kind. I feel like not, not yeah, all that not often. Anymore. I feel like I've seen them in kitchens and stuff. Um, but it's a roll, and instead of pulling from the outside, it pulls from the center. And it, it has to be the worst design for paper towels <laughs> yeah, ever. Because you pull out about seven. <laughs> yeah, and the ones that we have are perforated unevenly, so yeah. you can never pull one off. 
Anyway, that's where I ended up because we ran out of paper towels. So I had to buy that. So now it's here. <laughs> yeah, that was a source of amusement that you had to get. <laughs> yeah, well, I put it on like a hand cut dovetail piece of yeah. sapili with Rubio Mono coat on it. Yeah, it looks nice. It does. But that plastic dispenser. Yeah. I even put a magnet on there yeah. so I have the key to get inside yeah. of it stuck up there. Yeah. So the answer was we didn't we didn't really break from our normal routines here. No. Um, you you already had a horde yes. and I didn't have the chance to hoard. <laughs> no. <laughs> we still have a stockpile down there. I have more yeah, I have enough now to get through. Yeah. I took the bad toilet paper when we could finally get good toilet paper yeah. and I stashed that away. <laughs> just in case. Just in case of emergency. Yeah. Well, look at this next question. Yeah, that's a good one. Where did you get your apron? Uh, that's Bill. Bill builds woodworking on Instagram. <laughs> that's easy. Yeah, Bill. We talk about this a lot. I mean, maybe we haven't talked about it in a while, but yeah. um, in one of the earlier episodes, I think we we um, we spoke at length about uh, Calavera Toolworks. Michael's down in um, Charleston, South Carolina, and he makes these aprons. All, they're all made by hand. Yeah. He's got patterns. He cuts out the leather, does the sewing, makes the straps. He's doing, um, you know, uh, stone washing the hardware. Yeah, yeah. Di- you know, putting dye on. You know, some of the stuff comes pre-dyed, but putting dye on some of the hides. He's got bison and uh, several different types of, you know, regular. What do you call it? Steer leather, cow yeah, leather, regular cow, cow leather. Yeah. Um, I mean, amazing handmade aprons. Yeah, and, you know they're. You know, probably start around 250, 300 bucks and go up maybe in the range of 400. Yeah. But well worth it. Yeah. I mean, think it, about what it takes to make that and how you could possibly be making a, a profit on that's That's the impression I got when I, I mean, first off, the, the experience of buying it. it. I mean, we're so removed from things. I, mean, I never had a custom suit made or anything like that. My mother was a tailor. My mother actually came from Sicily and was a real old, like, immigrant Mm -hmm. kind of skilled worker in that regard. So when I was a kid, I remember seeing people come in, and my mother would literally, you know, you make the pattern and chalk it all out. So there's this experience of having something made for you, and it's this apron gives you that experience. When you open it up, and and Michael... Of course, you've communicated with him through the process, yeah. and there's a note in there, and he, the, he wraps it up in like butcher's paper, yeah. and writes a little, you know, well wish on the front of it, seals it with a Calavera sticker. <laughs> yeah. The care that goes into it, the the earnestness, I'll say. Yeah. Um, you ha- you say to yourself, how does he sell them this cheaply? That's yeah. the that's the thing. Um, it sounds like a lot, just like the pants sound like a lot, and. We don't want to turn into an infomercial, but it's a, it's an issue that's near and dear to us, supporting other local craftsmen. And the people at 1620, they're craftsmen. Michael's a craftsman. We're craftsmen. This is the American Craftsman Podcast. Yeah. Um, we're just trying to, you know, encourage others out there to support this type of community effort. Um, yeah, and, and you, f- you feel a connection to the thing when you're oh yeah you know wearing it like these pants i i get a better experience out of wearing them because i know that they were made by somebody six hours north yeah. here yeah um you know every time i put on that apron 
It's, yeah, we feel proud to wear them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you go on and you pick the length and what pocket you want. You want no pocket. You want, he's got, you know, three or four different kinds of pockets. You can change around the types of straps and the hardware. Yeah. And it's a real custom made to order. It is. He has a list of stuff that's pre-made, but. You made um, me a couple of things. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this guy's going to kill me. <laughs> yeah, you can get a tape measure holder, or a, a yeah. ring for a rag. Um, and and there's even guys now, like uh, guys and gals, butchers, barbers, mm-hmm. um, all kinds of people. I mean, because we use it in, in more of its truer sense for protection and things like yeah. that. But it's quite a fashionable item when it comes brand new. I mean, ours... Take a beating. Yeah, mine's awfully dusty. <laughs> they they get marked on and and all the little things that happen. We mm-hmm. we don't really take care of them in that way to make them stay pretty. Right. Um, but it's, you can clean it up and yeah. and oil it and it'll look yeah you know it'll look broken in obviously but it, the leather will look brand new. That's one of the good things about leather is it's yeah. really takes the conditioning well. Yeah. Yeah. It gets better with age. Yeah. It does. So Calavera, that's where we get our aprons. Yeah. And Michael actually makes like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like the bags that hold the wireless headset things for the oh, NFL. Yeah, yeah, he started making a bunch of stuff. Like yes. the Bose headsets that the coaches wear. Michael makes the bags that the guys <laughs> yeah. wear on their hip to hold like the, tran- yeah. the transmitter. And he made tons of masks during oh, all yeah. this. Yeah, so he was actually taking Festool vacuum bags. Michael used to work for Festool. He was taking Festool bags and making them into masks and yeah. shipping them out all over. He made like, I don't even know, 25,000 masks or something? Yeah, yeah. So he's a good guy. Yeah, super down to earth. Shoot him a message on Instagram. I guarantee you he's going to message you back. I would say if you're interested in an apron, there's nowhere else to look. Yeah. I mean, it's a unique product. If you think of it this way, pay a dollar a day for a year. Yeah, yeah. Would you... This is how I always look at when I b- want to buy things. So I want this apron. It's, we'll say it's $365. Would I pay a dollar a day? Would I take $1 out of my wallet every day and put it on the table and say goodbye to it mm-hmm. to be able to wear the apron for a year? That's a good way to look at it. Wouldn't even blink an eye. No. Because I've had that now for three years or maybe more. Yeah. yeah. So it's paid for itself yeah, five times the over. One day with, the, with the little piece of wood shooting off the table yeah. saw. Yeah, that was. I mean, it, it does offer serious yeah. protection. Yep. I can't tell you how many times I've you know fumbled a chisel and it yeah. scrapes across yeah. or. Um, yeah, the, you you could see it on the apron how many times it's protected you. Even just chips coming off of like a dado blade or the table saw, you know, they're hitting an apron instead of hitting mm-hmm. your shirt and going through and you get the little splinters that are sticking you in the belly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a convert for sure. And uh, in fact, I used to wear overalls as my go-to pants and then I found these 1620s and that works well because now I'm wearing the apron yep. instead of uh, the bibs. You're not doubled up. Yeah, yeah. So that was a great question. Yeah, we could talk about Calavera all day. I know. <laughs> so I'll read this next one. Um, it's from Miles T. He's one of our patrons, actually. Eat, drink, wine guy on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. He asks, do you guys prefer to have a separate rip and crosscut blade, or are you happy to use a combo blade for the majority of your work? Well, we uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago a little bit. 
Maybe it's more than a couple weeks now. I, yeah, I don't it's remember. It's hard to tell now. Yeah, especially after last week. Last week was like a... <laughs> yeah. We did the podcast three times. Um, so typically we have a we have a, a, a combo blade in there. I should say all the time we have yeah, a combo yeah. blade in there. Um, but I do like the idea of having a rip blade, a cross cut blade, and a, a plywood blade. Yeah. Um, Be honest. We're the kind of guys that we we want another saw with with a with yeah. a dedicated blade yeah. in it. That'd be nice, isn't that true? Remember, like those CD players, like a three hundred yeah. disc. Imagine you had one that had different blades. Oh, and you that's, could just, that's a cool idea. Yeah, saw stop. Call me. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we for practicality's sake, and just because we have an you know, it's another five hundred dollars to invest in saw blades. Um, we just keep a combo blade in there because we are, you know, there's days where we might just be ripping mm-hmm. and days where we might just be cross cutting parts to length and days where we might just be breaking down plywood. But for the most part, we're cutting a variety of things in a day. Yeah. Today, for example, we did all three. We we ripped hardwood, we cross cut hardwood and we cut plywood, cross grain and rip. Yeah. Um, so it's it's about convenience and about um, efficiency not stopping and changing the blade. Yeah. But for those times where we are, let's say, when we're in the rough stage where we're rough cutting and then joining, planing, and then getting to the point where we're ripping to join the other side, it would be nice to have a ripping blade. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's something that we maybe think about doing this year. But, you know, for now, it's just a combo blade. Yeah. And they're they're good quality blades. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And in, and a little bit of a shout out. I'll say a little bit because we got our our blades back from Ridge Carbide. Yeah, I, we did talk about this, but last week. But I don't know what version of the yeah. podcast made it to air. We sent our blades out for sharpening um, to Ridge, and one of them was a Ridge blade. And we said, "Let's try Ridge." Yeah, because we're in New Jersey. They're literally forty five minutes north of here. In uh, where Linden, yeah, somewhere in that area, and we said, Let's try them. So we sent our, our forest and our ridge blade up there. Yeah, that other one was actually, I thought it was a woodworker too. It was something else, it was oh, a it was, popular tools or something. I think it was one that you got at Monteith. Oh, okay. I thought it was the it wasn't the forest. No, I, I thought it was oh, okay. too, but it wasn't okay. Unless they sent us somebody else's blade. Yeah, that's funny, right? It did say Burrow Woodwork on it, though. okay. <laughs> so we sent them up there, and we just kept waiting and waiting. And then we called them a couple of weeks ago, and turns out they sold the company. Yeah. Um, to this guy, Paul, who owns Everlast Saw, which is a, a blade maker, who is actually, he was the guy that was making the blades for Ridge. Yeah, so we he, didn't know this. Me neither. He bought the company and um, moved it to Kansas. Where he, where I guess he's from. So they had to send all the blades yeah. from New Jersey to Kansas. What a time to do a changeover! Like right, we sent them December fifteenth. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, we just little, got them back. It was about yeah. a, about about a six month. Weeks. Yeah. Right, because December to January fifteenth. Five, yeah, yeah, five weeks. Yeah. So thank you, Paul. Yeah, really nice guy. I spoke to him on the phone. And they make they make nice looking blades. I mean, if if you like Ridge Carbide, they make the blades. So, mm-hmm. um, and they make custom blades. So if you have a specific application, with um, you know, you could change the hook angle and the tooth pattern and all that stuff. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, so we did get our blades back. So we're combo guys. Yeah. You know, like 90-something percent of the shops out there were combo blade yeah. users. You know. Um, what do we got? What's what's up next? Got a question from our buddy John. Okay. John wants to know, what are you, uh, John Peters, what are you working on now and what up- upcoming projects are you really excited about? Hmm. Well, we're just wrapping up the sauce wall, as we call it. We have to do a couple of little um, retakes for the filming part of it. But the, the real woodworking part is done. We're, we're building, um, well, <laughs> we don't really know the name of it. It's a secretary armoire wardrobe yeah. type of Queen Anne style piece that's going in a Victorian house, which essentially is going to um, be the cupboard for a, a Miele coffee machine. Yeah, the whole bean coffee system. Yeah, so we're working on that. It's, it's actually a, a fun project because we decided we we're going to do the casework and everything out of uh, solid wood. It's built out of cherry. So yep. all every piece except the back, which is cherry ply, um, is solid wood. And it's it's a lot of fun to work with it. Yeah. Um, it's coming together nice. Sometimes it feels like a, not wasteful, but, you know, like. The top and the subtops, they're all solid and they look beautiful, but then we have to cut holes in them for because yeah, there's and, a, uh, <laughs> was it Zip Water, I think yeah, is the brand, yeah. Hydro Tap with this. So there's a font, which is basically like a little sink that's like five inch diameter. Mm-hmm. And then it has a screen over the top of it so you can set your glass and then any water that comes over will go down into this sink and drain right, you know, through a right. regular drain. Like I could see like a, more of like a commercial cabinet shop. All these elements would be web frames of plywood. Yeah. Um, but then you have to get into like face framing, and and that's not the look of this piece at all. Right. And and the plywood on the you know on the casework's just not gonna look like solid wood. Yeah, like this top. I'm looking at it right over here. That there's the base cabinet case we'll call it and then there's a solid cherry countertop that sits on top of that then we have this transition piece that has an angle that steps back to the depth of the upper section yeah yeah now most guys would probably just put a piece of plywood and edge band it two inches because that's all you see not even but it's just easier to use it is all cherry i mean because once you start getting into the movement issues especially with these now you have these glue ups that are 24, 26 inches wide. They're going to move back and forth. So once you get into that issue, now it's it's just so much simpler to do it all in one material, which is solid cherry. Everything's going to expand and contract in unison. Yeah, you all of a sudden put a super piece, super stable piece of plywood up there, <laughs> right. and you have a, an exploding cabinet. Exactly. So and with the price of cherry, I mean, yeah, I, it's let's face it you know that if you have the skill and the tools to do it it's it's very economical to work in cherry right now yeah yeah i mean that's only what seven board feet yeah that top yeah yeah well no maybe a little bit more it's probably you know two by four yeah one one and a half boards maybe yeah so at 10 let's just say it's 10 feet. yeah so including we won't waste. tell you what we're paying for cherry but yeah Less than fifty dollars for the for all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and 
It's, it's just, and it's nice. It's, it's nice to work in yeah. that, in that manner for a change. And we glued up, you know, one, two, three, four, five. I mean, half, uh, almost a dozen things anyway. So mm-hmm. we might as well add one more glue up and repeat the same thing. Get some, right. uh, some, um, uh, economy of scale with what we're doing instead of adding another process to right. the thing. And then, then you get a bunch of plywood in there. Sure. Cause if we would have gone now, let's say we wanted to go with the side solid cherry, cause that's a given. That's, that's where our, our first design uh, element is fixed. Those have to be solid for the right appearance and everything. Yep. Well, how are we going to go to, you know, like a top and bottom of uh, plywood because now all of a sudden we're going to have these movement issues. So then we have to go to a different type of joinery, like a sliding dovetail or something. Yeah, we're going to have to push uh, all the movement to the back because right. we have to have a face frame on the front. So it it's actually was easier for us to do it this way yeah. um, than have to figure out another method that we're not really that well versed in. We're We're good at this. So let's stick to what we know. Yeah, and it's nice. <laughs> it's just nice to have a, yeah. you know, basically a solid wood. So that's kind of like a little tip, you know, for people. I mean, it's like what we do. There's, for the most part, we stick to what we know and do best. And we'll introduce the new and challenging elements in smaller doses. Like, you know. Like those feet I'm making. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we won't base the whole project, except for that <laughs> that bent chair that's coming up, on something oh, yeah. we don't really know what we're doing. You know, every now and again we will, but. We try, you know, because we do this for a living, so we have to get this stuff in and out of the shop in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, yeah. There's only so much that the budget allows. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess that segues into the um, what are we excited about? I'm excited about building those chaise lounges with a steam yeah. vent. We're going to be right after this, and we'll probably start laying the groundwork for that job next week um, in terms of getting things in water soaking to mm-hmm. steam vent. We're going to be building some chaise lounges. I think we spoke about it before for a like a luxury condominium apartment kind right. of thing. I don't, I don't know what I mean, if they have an indoor is. pool. They have a spa <laughs> level. So the entire floor of this uh, high rise is yeah. a spa. So we'll be making these four chaise lounges at a quartered white oak. They have a, a steam bent back. Yeah. You Almost know, like a custom. C shape. Yeah. But, oh, like a modern, because it's kind of blocky. Yeah, it's... Uh, but the corners, it's got two corners. It's like a rectangle with radius corners. Yeah, there I don't you know go. How you would explain that. Um, you know, custom upholstered cushions, and so that's gonna be cool. Yeah, that's gonna be a lot of fun. We're gonna have to make a whole jig. You know, we kind of we uh, goofed around with the concept, yeah. and we have a idea of what we're gonna do to actually do it for real this time. I've been picking uh Silent Mill on Instagram. I'm sorry I don't know your your government name. Um I've been picking his brain a ton yeah. on the steam bending and he's been doing a lot of steam bending himself and has been for a while from what I understand. Um so he's been helping me out with That's some cool. advice. Yeah. Yeah so we have uh and we we got that mantle coming up which is gonna be a nice little piece Forgot of work. All about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and the cabinetry going out to Samir's place. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, we just sent out the uh, samples today for that. So that's a job, the job out in Easton that we've spoken about before. That's going to be pretty interesting, too. Yeah, so that looks like it's set in stone. We're just ironing out the final details yeah, in terms the, of finish and species. And, yep. Um, the design's all locked in. So, yeah, I think we're we're pushing ourselves into uh, maybe June now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of stuff that is uh, looks fulfilling, we'll say. Yeah, not white shaker painted. <laughs> yeah, we did do more than our share of that last year. <laughs> we we were probably rolling our eyes back every time somebody said they wanted, uh, you know, white painted shaker. Probably maybe, no, we definitely yeah, were. Maybe that's that fad has passed. It hasn't. All right. Well, you know, can't. Uh, maybe they just realized they're barking up the wrong tree. Finally. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, that's those Green Street guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you mean, this shaker cabinet? We're, we're the only people that push back to the client when, yeah. they, when they tell us they want something and we don't want to do it. <laughs> Can't you just build it out of pine? We're going to paint it anyway. No. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a good one. This is from uh, Brian Hamlet Woodcraft on Instagram. Right. He said... After buying multiple mechanical pencils that cost more than the average person would even think about, have you become a laughing stock to your wife and children like I have? When Brian sent this in, I said, man, you're letting your wife know about these things? You're messing up. That's As you were reading it, that's the first thing that popped into my head. My wife has no idea I spent $30 on a single pencil. Yeah. You got to keep that to yourself. <laughs> that's that's like my wife thinks that I can't read her. And she'll go to Nordstrom's and she go, oh, yeah, I got this eyeliner today. It was, uh, you know, she tries to tell me like how much it was. And then she pauses. And that right then I know the next thing that comes out of her mouth is a lie. Yeah. <laughs> it was on sale. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I couldn't pass it up. <laughs> so I don't push because, uh, you know. Like when I first when I first got the Calavera apron, it started off as two hundred dollars when I told my wife. And then you know maybe it came out again. It was like after she sees it and we talk about it, then it's three hundred dollars. You know, one day she'll she'll get the full price. Maybe yeah. you got to take that to the grave. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Um, I don't really talk about it. I do. I. I keep the significant spending uh, under yeah. the umbrella of communication. I'll yeah. make sure that I that I vet those uh, purchases, just because you don't want that to come back and bite you in the ass. Yeah. But buying little pencils and stuff like that, those are easy to hide. Yeah. Plus, your wife has a toolkit of her own, and she's yeah. My she's, wife is a, a hairstylist, so she. I mean, her scissors cost like some of them are like eight nine hundred dollars. Yeah. Pair, so. Yeah. Um, and my wife's got her little trips into the fashion world that she'll... Yeah. <laughs> I, I shot the text over last night. Hey, babe, uh, you mind if I spend $150 on rasps? <laughs> no. But I know that yeah. it's a, it's a push-pull, so she's getting 150 for something. Yeah, That's yeah. That's usually how it works. She's flipping through the catalog in her mind yeah. right now. Um, but that's okay. Yeah. We're probably more likely to be mocked by uh, other woodworkers who... You know, settle for like the dollar ninety nine Pentel version of yeah. The, I like my Pentel. Yeah, the, I I mean I have one on a magnet over there. I use it. 
Um, those are those are not a dollar ninety nine. They're not those yellow ones. No, those are about six bucks. Oh, they are. See, yeah. I'm out of touch. Yeah, yeah, with your fancy German pencils. Yeah, um, but you know, I'm a Pika user now. Yeah, yeah. I still, I, I got my Pika. They are cool. It's a really cool pencil. Yeah, just a little too thick for my. Yeah, point. if they made a point nine, in the same sort of design, yeah. I'd be all over it. Yeah, it's easy now. I, I got it. The, the muscle memory for where yeah, it yeah. is in the apron. So I do like the whole like holster kind of idea. Yeah, it keeps the tip from breaking off. Because mm-hmm. on the on the German pencil, I have to wind up retracting the lead so I don't break it. Uh, yeah, because it's, it's long. You know the other pencil I had, that notebook that we kind of all laughed at? Yeah, the Italian one. The thing about that was, <laughs> the backstory on this was, I ordered this Italian mechanical pencil, and it wasn't cheap either. Um, and it was called a notebook pencil. Now I'm thinking notebook. I, I don't know what that means. Yeah. It turns out it's about like, not quite half size, about three quarter the size of a regular pencil. Yeah. It was so, probably four <laughs> inches long, maybe yeah. four and a half. So, you know, it, be, it was like a laughing stock kind of thing. That was, that was funny. But, and then I, I don't know if I lost it or if Rich probably threw it away on me. <laughs> Because he's been known to do stuff like that. Um, that pencil was perfect because it was short enough to fit in the bib pocket of the apron and not break off the lead. Uh, like, I, if I didn't have so many expensive pencils already, just buy I'd, one. Be in, yeah, I'd, I'd be curious about buying another one of those. I'm see. I'm stuck with the the Graph Gear 500.9. Yeah, yeah, you like that one? Uh, yeah, I've been using it for probably two years straight now, mm-hmm. and I ain't going back. No, to to the you know the Pentel Sharp point nine, which I like, which are the yellow ones that you see yeah. a lot. Um, I don't know. I like the weight of it. The point nine is a is the best. Um middle ground for me between strength and the the size of the line. I don't yeah. like a fat line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm I'm still hunting. You know, the thing is that that Rote Ring is a great pencil, but it's more really for drafting. Yeah. You know, that's really where you want a pencil like that. Because um, you can get a super fine point on there. Yeah, I have. But I you have, have to sharpen it constantly. And when you're drafting, you know, you learn to roll the pencil so that you keep that point. Yeah. <laughs> Because I have, I, you know, I did that for a long time as a, as a draftsman. Um, so Here's a question. Can we yeah. expense a trip to Japan <laughs> yeah, to check yeah. out the pencils? That's right. I mean, we're nothing over here compared to the, the pencil fanaticism. We'll have like an entire store of just pencils and you can like customize the, yeah. the colors and the different types of and That would be a lot stuff. of fun. Yeah. I mean, that, because... We'd probably see things we'd never seen before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be great. I had to a, bring a big suitcase. A pencil pilgrimage. Yeah. Wow. Maybe in the 2022. Let us know if you'd like to see that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If we could somehow finance that film and yeah. make a movie about Everybody it. Everybody wants to buy us tickets to <laughs> Japan. <laughs> All right. Well. This is a good one from uh, Wild Willie. Yeah. You want to read it? Yeah, sure. Um, in a world where everyone is copying everyone, where do we draw the line and stay true to ourselves and where we come from as individuals from Wild Willie, Wild Willie's Woodshop on Instagram? Yeah. Um, 
where do we draw the line? That's, I guess it, that's something that um, we probably do in our lives outside of work and our artistic endeavors. It's must be part of your DNA. Um, you know, uh, I think I said this last week or the week must have been a week before because last week is such a blur. Uh, Jeff sent over <laughs> this this quote and I just loved it. Only dead fish go with the flow. Yeah. <laughs> so we're kind of, um, you know, do our own thing kind of guys anyway. Um, and that's where the challenge and the joy is. So where where do you put that line? I would say right up front. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, an intuitive kind of thing. Yeah. You know, you're always pushing your... Um, individuality i guess we'll call it and your your point of view and desires as a craftsman and you feel the resistance and you have to know when to back off mm -hmm. and you have to learn you know the cues as to when you're just fighting a losing battle and you have yeah. to always make the decision of whether it's worth it to to concede or compromise and and you know take a job and do it a way that somebody else wants to do it not like the whole way. pinterest thing yeah yeah um, I mean, how many jobs or not jobs, they were inquiries did we get last year that we felt they were sending us the very same Pinterest photos mm -hmm. as, yeah, I want something like this. Um, and we were just, you know, <laughs> we'd rant and rave here in the shop and <laughs> we'd call them and be nice. Yeah. Because... Uh, I mean, we you never we never dismiss anything, but we do hope to influence. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes people might think that, well, it's going to be less expensive if I get something painted white. Or and for us, we we've mentioned this in the past. It's not. It's actually a little bit more yeah. um, expensive to do it that way for us. Uh, and we hope that we can reach a middle ground where we're doing something that you know serves them because that's the bottom line and that but also creates you know opportunity for us to have some joy in our work which is really what we're all about here i mean yeah i mean i, I think we've all heard the like saying some jobs feed the soul and some jobs pay the rent right so right. if you're not paying the rent you got to take the jobs that pay the rent. <laughs> but if the rent's covered, well, then you can afford to, yeah, yeah. to stick to your guns and only do it the way that you want to do it. And, 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 you know, if you, if you have a strong creative vision, sometimes people don't know that they want what you're dreaming up instead yeah. of what they've already seen. So I always love to pitch something to somebody and say, how about this? Yeah. <laughs> sometimes we get shot down like right away, but, not not usually. Yeah, and like, you know, for example, those Chase Lounges that we were talking about, that's not our design. No. It's based it's a rip off of a commercially available design that they, they couldn't. They the need size, to resize it. The size was wrong. But you know what? I'm gonna fucking enjoy building that just yeah. as much as I yeah. would something that we design because Oh yeah. Because it's all cool about the process. There. Yeah. yeah. And you know, we're doing it. I guarantee you they're not steam bending it. So no. <laughs> they, the, those are factory made. There it's it's there's a you know a section of a of a production plant set up to just crank out those parts. Yep. 
there's a machine creating the arms and mm-hmm. then there's somebody at the end putting all the parts together. Yep. Yeah, so there's always a, a place in the job to put your your you know stamp on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we know Willie, he's extremely creative. He's oh, done yeah. a lot of very cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I always like to hear from Will. He's, he's very cool. And uh, when he yeah. was here as our guest... I was pretty fascinated by everything that he'd done. Yeah, I'd like to have Willie back on. Yeah, yeah. Especially because the audio got so messed up on that episode. <laughs> Still a mystery. I'm afraid this next question from one of our patrons, Tom M., he, he's going to be sorely disappointed. Yeah. You go first. <laughs> Rangers or Devils, he wants to know. I have to say... I don't watch hockey. It's one of those sports where I keep saying to myself, you know, I should watch some more hockey. This looks like a good game. And the only and I would say I'm a would definitely be a Rangers fan, being from New York. And um, the only time I really watched it was when I was living out in San Francisco, and the Rangers were in the Stanley Cup with uh, um, who was it? It was uh, Vancouver, and my buddy who was the bass player in the band, he was from Vancouver. Uh, so, of course, he was a big hockey fan, and he could kind of explain the nuances of the game to me. It was a lot more enjoyable, um, because if you're just watching it and you don't really know all of the rules... It can, yeah, especially games like that where there's, like, penalties and, you know, not knowing what an offside... Right, right. Like um, and it's very fast-paced, so... Yeah. Um, what about you? Do you, you watch any hockey? I, I don't watch sports at all. Yeah. Um, I grew up. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> I grew up playing football. I played football from five to eighteen, and I played lacrosse. And um, I don't know if I ever played like t-ball or anything like that when I was real little. But I just I don't have any interest in sports anymore. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is. It's the commercials. It's the announcers. It's, it's the yeah, constant the hyperbole stoppages with penalties and I just it does nothing for me anymore I'll like you know if I go to somebody's house and hang out have a couple drinks and eat some food and watch a football game I'm fine with that but you're not going to catch me in my free time by myself watching a a sports uh, sports event I did get into hockey uh, about um let's see it's probably about eight seven or eight years ago and I did watch a good bit of devil's hockey if I was going to watch hockey, I would root for the Devils. I did then. Been to a couple Devils games. Um, but no, I don't follow. Yeah, I'm a Giants fan, a Devils fan, a West Virginia Mountaineers fan in terms of football. And I guess there are other sports, but... Yeah. I, um, yeah, we, I, I just don't... Growing up, we played in New York. You're basically... This is now... We're talking about the 70s... Um, and not even the late 60s. I was born in 62. So you you played sports in the schoolyard or in the street based on what was going on on TV. So we played a lot of roller hockey yeah. and street hockey with those. Uh, did you ever see those, those black pucks that they use for street hockey? Mm. Yeah. It was this hard plastic puck. Because it could slide on the blacktop. Yeah. (laughs) Of course. We had no padding or anything like that. But we were taking slap shots. Oh, yeah. The poor kid who's the goalie. 
It's like a, like a normal hockey puck is that black rubber. Right. This was like a, um, what's Su- the word I'm looking for? Like a Delrin kind of like a hard black plastic. Yeah. You know what it reminded me of? Remember, this is what we used to use when we didn't have one. Remember the old Dunkin' Yo-Yos? Yeah. That's what we used to use if we didn't have oh a puck. Oh, my <laughs> That'll knock you out. Yeah. Definitely bust some teeth out. So, growing up in Brooklyn. That's small. It's hard to keep your eye on. Yeah. You could have, you know, checking and playing football. Everything was on blacktop. Yeah. You know, there was no grass to be seen anywhere. I love playing lacrosse. Lacrosse was a really fun fun sport. I played that um, from, I think, like fourth grade to 10th grade. Yeah. Then I got a job and I was like, pfft. Screw this! I'm gonna make money because you know I was a I was an okay athlete, but I wasn't I wasn't great yeah. in football and lacrosse. But I remember like breaking a kid's hand through his glove with the. I mean, lacrosse is cool. You get to hit people with a yeah. metal stick. Yeah, yeah. Like hockey, you can check people like a little bit, but in lacrosse, like you can yeah, really they wail, whack. You can I've really wail. That. It looks like a great game. It's fun. It's like hockey and soccer and football. Kind of like all wrapped up in one. Yeah, yeah. I would have. I mean, we didn't have uh, access to anything like that. I, did you ever see that movie Stand by Me? Mm-hmm. About like there's these kids get together and they like there's this dead body in the woods, but it's sort of like a myth in a way. It's like they're gonna go look for it. Yeah, yeah. Growing up, when I was that age, that myth was surrounded a grass field. Like, you heard there was this grass field somewhere. You're not quite sure where. But, like, if you take the L and you get off at this street and it's like you got to go through this neighborhood and there's a grass field there. That's funny. It is. A, it was a different world back then. It was, I mean, even though I grew up in essentially a city, a real urban environment, it to, compared to today... It had a very small town, kind of almost Mayberry-esque kind of feel compared to today. Parents, I mean, your parents would scream out the window when it was time for you to come home. That's yeah. the kind of neighborhood I lived in. Well, it touches back on like that depersonalization of society, like, yeah. like people's jobs not being an identity anymore. And, you know, because all those people in your neighborhood, that was... That was Steve from the shop down there, and that was right. you know uh, Mary who worked at the at the corner store, and so you knew everybody. But Ex- now I go over here. To, there's a supermarket. <laughs> I don't know any of those people. I still remember. I, I lived with my grandmother growing up. I was probably six or seven years old when I would have to go to the store with her. I still remember the butcher's name. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that's where you got meat. There was no grocery store in those days in the neighborhood. You went to each individual place. And I used to love all, like, the shavings on the floor. And uh, I used to call the, I guess he was called Mr. Joe. His his name was Joe. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I still know him as Mr. Joe the Butcher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember going places like the with my dad. And I grew up in the 90s. Yeah. The hardware store, mm-hmm. the pharmacy, or with my mom. The hardware store, the pharmacy, the bait and tackle shop, and like yeah. seeing the same people. There's but something not, great about that. Yeah, it's not as much a thing anymore. No. It, it's definitely still a thing in in um, places. I'd say more towards the center of the country. Yeah, and there there are. I mean, I guess we go places like that too. 
a little bit, but it's just not as widespread as it used to yeah, be. Yeah, some of the, the trade stores, I mean, because it's a small group of consumers, you mm-hmm. know, if you go into, um, I mean, but even like Monteith, where we, I used to go get lumber all those years. You go there, the guy's retired, and there's like, there's three people working there that don't know you and you don't know them, and everything at once, all like the 10 or 12 years you spent building that relationship is just completely gone all yeah. of a sudden. That's like we went to Bullet Lock yeah. in uh, Long Branch. Did we talk about this last week? I don't think so. I don't know. I think we went on Wednesday. Did no. we? No. Uh, we went the day that we filmed. Yeah. Because we had a race to get back. Thursday or Friday. Yeah. Bullet Lock is a really cool old school. Like you walk in, it's like all 1970s <laughs> yeah. wood paneling. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> those like old cases, like display cases of door hardware and, and uh, stuff like that to make, yeah. you know, keys and stuff. Uh, and like, and know all the guys there. It's Jack and Frank and... And uh, it's just nice to be able to have a rapport with someone. And yeah, and these guys are real experts. Right. They spent their lives working there. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That was a nice diversion. John Peters again. He wants to know. This is a leading question, isn't it? <laughs> Any new shop upgrades or tools in the near future? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know John's got some stuff coming, too. Um, so we have, they, uh, I just heard not too long ago, they weren't in yet, but so we have a new planer and a new shaper coming in from Oliver. They're out in Washington state. So those should be on a truck this week and we should probably have them by maybe this time next week. We're really looking forward to that though, though the we're green street, but the shops definitely turning blue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not that we have any bad machines, but these are upgrades. Yeah, these are upgrades. So we're getting rid of the planer. We have a couple couple people interested in that, mm-hmm. and the shaper will be finding a new home over here, um, which we have some uses for that coming up, building the yeah. exterior door and. Oh uh, yeah, we forgot about the Dutch door with yeah. the stained glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's gonna be cool. Yeah. Um, so shout out to Oliver Machinery. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know about them, uh, they're a long-standing American company. You know their machinery is made in Taiwan at this point. Um, like, but like all the other brands, <laughs> yeah. Like just like our sauce stop was made. I mean, it, what are you gonna do? This is it. This yeah. is there's there's not the manufacturing presence here in Mm-mm. in America. There's not even the infrastructure for it. No, but. Uh, they're very nice folks and uh yeah and uh you know the the tools are really packed with with a lot of value so oh yeah they're they're feature rich yeah uh super competitively priced and we can't say enough about them i mean we wouldn't have forked over the cash yeah if we had any reservations yeah yeah so we'll be sporting two new machines next week or two yeah yeah it'll be a process to get them to get them in there the street <laughs> to back here yeah. inside the shop we're not, we're not really a, a loading dock forklift uh-uh. kind of place <laughs> i was thinking you think ed has an engine hoist i don't know he might i could ask he's him. got a forklift doesn't he ed's got a bobcat that doesn't run oh okay yeah ed is a mechanic that lives across the street you see i have that suspicious thing on my screen over there yeah what is that i think it's siri oh siri 
on this. I screen. better X that out. <laughs> we don't want to run into the same problems we last, had last week. Yeah, last week the computer went off twice. Um, we had to reshoot. We had to reshoot like an hour and a half's worth of uh, podcast. And each time our answers got shorter and shorter. And we were, I think we were probably talking faster too. Can you believe we've been going for an hour and seven minutes already? No. I would have said maybe like 35. Yeah. So, yeah, John. stay tuned. We got a, a truckload of tools coming. Yeah. And we'll definitely, you know, do some video and things like that yeah. on those tools. Cause, yeah, I mean, we're going to have to learn how to use a shaper because Cause we don't have one. Yeah, I mean, I have, um, I've run a shaper before, but never with shaper cutters. No, yeah, usually they have like the big router bits on them. Yeah, we used to run uh, like a three-quarter inch collet, I think, with big bits on a shaper, like on job sites when I was a finished carpenter. we make yeah. our own window uh stool and stuff yeah, like that that's but, what we have with that little bridge wood which you know similar uh process but again it's just another little learning curve and hey i'm i embrace the new oh yeah stuff to learn so yeah it's it's gonna be awesome yeah so there you go mr peters and uh, we'll have to hear about his new um additions as well yeah i won't spoil the surprise i'm not sure if yeah. he's uh, talking about it yet but all right got one from uh, our friends low country modern on instagram they changed their they changed their instagram handle it used to be loco modern now it's low country modern on a scale of one to ten how awful are epoxy river tables and what will everyone do with them in 20 years also thank you guys for crushing it and giving us a fantastic podcast cheers wow no thank you for listening yeah exactly <laughs> boy uh, I, you know, in this answer, I don't want to insult anybody. It's just my opinion, but I would say 10. Um, but just not, I'm not a fan. I know Jeff will answer. He's not a fan either, but um, it's just one of these things that might have been cute at the beginning that just, it, it turned into a, a caricature yep. of itself. and It's a bastardization. Yeah, so uh, once it jumps the shock and all that other stuff and all those phrases, that that tired phrase fits the epoxy river table perfectly. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna say ten plus. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree. <laughs> I just don't like it. Should have just been that one off thing where somebody right. was like, "Yeah, look at this thing I made," and people were like, "Ah, oh, that's cool." Right. And then we just went on building stuff that was like real yeah. furniture. Um, I just don't, you're like, you're taking the natural beauty of a live edge piece of wood or e sometimes now it's not even a live edge. People are just like putting random pieces of wood with mm -hmm. epoxy in the middle. Um, and you're covering it up with this synthetic, I guess maybe not all, not all epoxies are synthetic. I don't know. I don't know the chemical uh, makeup of epoxy, but you're, you're filling it with this petroleum product, this yeah. neon colored or, or yeah, it's a little silly. It's just, yeah, I don't get it. I mean, we, um, we live outside, I'll say of a pretty affluent area and we mm -hmm. work in, um, homes of people who have more money than we'll ever have. <laughs> um, there's a reason we don't see these tables in any of these homes. That's right. That's right. Uh, that's a, that's a great point. Um, those things will all wind up in somebody's basement. I mean, I won't even say the the dumpster because they'll 
They'll just kind of go down the food chain until they find a way into yeah. a dorm room. Or You'll find them at a garage sale yeah. in, in five years yeah. for, you know, pennies on the dollar what they paid. Yeah. And, you know, so we're selling the planer and I get a message from some guy and he's like, oh, yeah, would you be willing to trade like carpentry service for uh, the planer? <laughs> I said, uh, no, I appreciate the offer, but, you know, we're furniture makers. So, you know, we're really looking for cash on this one. He goes, oh, yeah, I'm a furniture maker, too. I, you know, I do stuff with like live edge and epoxy. And I, you know, deep down the snarky woodworker in you wants to say, like, dude, please don't lump yourself in with us because you're not cut from the same cloth. Yeah. Uh, we can be a little, uh, once you start bringing those things up, we can get a little snarky, pretentious. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, like a, a um, like you said, a caricature of our craft almost. It is, it is. Um, like the Dutchman, like the store-bought Dutchman. Yeah, I, I uh, speaking of Wild Willie, he, uh, he had to put some real Dutchmans in like a table that he was making, and I was uh, busting his balls a little bit. I said, you should use a slab stitcher, which is this, thing that you can buy and it's a router template with pre-made like butterflies yeah, and they come yeah. in all different shapes and it's just i don't know it's just getting ridiculous <laughs> yeah um well luckily there are people out there that are still preserving the craft and mm -hmm. the artistry um what can i say people like low country you know he's doing it and willie and tons of people we don't even know about so yeah, yeah and hey if you uh make river tables i'm sorry yeah i'm <laughs> not trying to hurt your feelings just you know hey everybody's got an opinion this is just ours yeah it's just a, it's just our opinion our take on it you might hate craftsman style furniture yeah or or anything you know, might hate everything we make there's probably people out there like i don't particularly like um like that that heavy um period furniture with all of the carving and Chippendale all that stuff. And but, I mean, to appreciate the craftsmanship that goes into it, I can't touch any of that stuff. I yeah. mean, that's that's a skill set that I don't have the least bit of. Yeah, like I don't want in my house, uh, we were just talking about cabriole legs today, mm -hmm. like a, 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 a buffet with cabriole legs and, right. and the big um, brass pulls with the big mm -hmm. back plate, Queen Anne, like... It's just not my shtick. But it, we don't feel the same way about that as we do. No. Because <laughs> I'll make that, that piece with the cabriole legs, but I don't want to make an epoxy table. <laughs> How much, if somebody came to us and said they wanted an epoxy table with, with store-bought steel... Um, one of the hairpin legs. <laughs> what what would we charge to do it? I don't think we, I, we could put a price on it. They'd have to like be like waving a wad of cash. Yeah. What would the fee be? What would what would the turn up your nose fee be for something like that? There'd have to be some kind of NDA. Like you yeah. can't say that we made yes. it. Um, it really goes against you know everything that we stand for. It That's does. a big chunk of um, you know hazardous material basically yeah, between those yeah. pieces of wood. Yeah. So hopefully they never wind up in a dumpster and they just keep getting handed down. Yeah, to, that stuff is gonna is gonna do some damage to the earth as yeah. it degrades. All right. So uh, we'll move on to Jack T. 
Jack Thornton 98 on Instagram. He asks, have you used many exotic woods before? I'll start off. Jack, we want to know how the apprenticeship is going. Yeah. Let us know. If you, I don't know if you started it or if, uh, you, if you're still doing it, but uh, let us know. Uh, we, by um, sort of virtue, don't really use many exotic woods no. or really any at all. Um, just for sustainability purposes, for the, the sustainability in terms of the shipment. You know, mm-hmm. all of our wood is coming from... We use, I'd say, I'll preface it with this. Sapelia is about as exotic as it gets for us. <laughs> um, we have bought some very small quantities of accent wood for, for certain things, the canary wood and the purple heart, stuff mm-hmm. like that. But We're talking about like a like board a, foot. A board foot, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't even know where purple heart comes from. Probably a lot of that stuff. It's it's either Africa or South America where all those. Yeah. I, for some reason, I want to think that purple heart was more domestic than that. Yeah. But um, if you know, let us know. Uh, you know, like getting it here from South America, the stuff that we buy is probably sourced within, we'll say 750 miles from here. Yeah. Most of it, yeah. the the oak is coming from Appalachia and, uh, the maple is coming from maybe at the furthest, like the border of Canada. Yeah. Um, and as far West as maybe Ohio. Yeah. So all the cherries come from Pennsylvania. Um, it's just better for us that way. I, I don't yeah. know. It's just, it's, been, it's basically as simple as that. The only time I ever used anything exotic was uh, back when uh, U.S. Mahogany was still in uh, business. They used to have a couple of shelves with tiny little pieces and chunks of woods that I'd never heard of. And I got myself, you know, a piece that could fit into my hand, a piece of zebra wood. <laughs> it is, it's cool looking stuff. Yeah. And I used it for um, so, sort of like these wedges in in the breadboard ends and to hold the um, little braces together on the bottom of a of a bedside table, but really, I mean, nothing to speak of. Just, yeah. um, that, I think that kind of stuff is better suited to like, uh, making pens and, yeah, and that's little a good idea. turning, uh, things like that. And for use as like accent wood in a jewelry box or like a human mm-hmm. door, maybe make the center panel of a, of the top of the box. I've heard they're hard to glue up and stuff like that too. Cause they're so oily. I've and, worked with Wengi a little bit actually mm-hmm. in the past and, yeah, just, I don't know. I like a more fine-grained wood than that. Yeah. It's not in our vernacular for the most part. And um, if we want to accent something, typically we'll, we'll, you know, use a native wood and maybe even dye it if we had to, to, to get that ebonized kind of look to it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've done a lot of um, oak with walnut, cherry with walnut, Stuff yeah. like that. If you need small accents, yeah, it's easy to mix in something like that, like walnut, or yeah. you need a lighter wood maple. So the answer is we really haven't, and um, for a variety of reasons, we just probably won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, possibly if we got into some veneer work or something like that. Yeah, yeah and I think it. if we were to use something exotic, like a large scale, that would yeah. be the way to go. Yeah. All right. It. This is a good one from yeah. Pat. Pat J. Axon Jackson, 508 on Instagram. He was the winner of our giveaway. What the hell was that oh. for? 
our first giveaway with the tools and stuff? Mm, yeah, it was the second giveaway we did. That the was the first second. one we did was uh was our fifteen hundred Instagram follower giveaway. Okay, and what was the other one? I don't know what it was for. I oh, one year for our one year anniversary uh, of the company. Um, so hopefully he's putting those tools to good use. Pat wants to know: Is the price always the price? When is it appropriate to give discounts? Hmm, that, that is a good question. I mean. It's a slippery slope if you start discounting. Um, Jeff and I know what the cost of everything is. And so we we do a full, in fact, Jeff tried to mail out a proposal this morning and the file was so big, it wouldn't go over the regular mail server. It was like 40 megabytes. Yeah, because we make drawings and all the the full breakdown and the written breakdown of everything. It's very, very thorough. It takes, takes a good bit of time because we want to explain everything. And it sort of sets the, the tone for, you know, who we are as a company. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the price comes in and it's probably higher than others, you could see it's like if you walk into a, uh, you know, a Jag showroom or a, um, let's say a Kia showroom, there's going to be a difference of how you're handled as a customer and the feel and the fit of things. So that's that's part of it. Um, uh, so we try not to do that. You know, we yeah we we know what the costs are and we know what we're worth. Um, and as long as we're able to keep paying ourselves, we don't feel the need to um, engage in that sort of thing. Uh, we we don't come in with any pie-in-the-sky prices. That's the first thing. Yeah, I was going to say, like, basically, once you have the number, there's no discount, really. Right. Like, we we might value engineer, which is a, a term that keeps coming up more <laughs> and more. So, like, you want to you wanna change some things in the job to bring the cost down? Right. That we can do, but where it looks bad if you come in and say okay the job is 20,000 and they say well it's a little bit high and you say all right i can do it for 15 or yeah. or 18 well where are you just pulling this $2,000 out of it's looking like that you're ripping people off or or you're charging too much and people get you know a little bit turned off from that and i think it's a bad reputation yeah. to sort of create so you need to read the job from the beginning and this is good, something that we routinely do. Way to put it. We price out the job amongst ourselves, look at the numbers and, and think about the client and the job and what else is going on in the job, what the moving parts are, and say, can we get twenty thousand? Mm-hmm. Or do we need to bring it down to eighteen thousand? Right. And then we send off the price. And if it's too much, there's really no going back on no. that. Then we don't get the job. But most of the time I mean, we, we don't lose a job if it because the price is close. We'll lose a job because we it's, say it's twenty thousand and they wanted it to be five thousand. Yeah, not because we're not going to lose the job over you know ten percent. It's just not going to happen. They either have the money and the 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 taste and the desire for what we're doing, or they're going to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, that that's it. And a lot of times there's some sticker shock, but people tend to see the value in what we're providing. 
Um, and just like <coughs> me and Jeff do all the time, <laughs> we didn't ask 1620 to lower the price on their pants. No. We both looked at each other and we went, oh, my God, these pants are expensive. And then we bought them. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Because that's the way it is. I, I, you know, you don't go into the store and start bargaining with the clerk. No. So why should people start bargaining with us? Yeah, I guess the problem is um, we're like uh, Neiman Marcus in a <laughs> world of Walmart's kind of yeah. deal. I don't know if that's a good analogy because I don't do much shopping. But but you don't um, go into Neiman and start trying to knock the price down. Right, but everybody thinks they're shopping at Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, they say, so you know these jeans only cost nineteen ninety nine at Walmart. Yeah. Why? How come they're one hundred and fifty dollars here? Yeah, but this next uh, part of the question: When is it appropriate to give discounts? We do, do we do give discounts, but we do that straight up front. Like if 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 there's a situation where we think somebody is uh, where a discount's appropriate, we go into the proposal, we go into the job. With that right on the line, yeah, um, it doesn't come after the fact. Yeah, I'd say very rarely. Like um, a good good example is this Chase Lounge job. This is a job with a very fixed budget. Mm-hmm. So we they contact us, say we have this, we need these built. Can you price it for me? Okay, we price it, send it over. All right, listen, we're six hundred dollars over budget. Can you lower the price? And <laughs> yes, yeah. That's a situation where you can do it. And that's more like a commercial client. Yeah, but even if a residential yeah. client was like, okay, we got $10,000 to do this job, and, and you said it's 10500 can you do it for 10000 Right. We're probably just going to make it work yeah. because it's yeah. not... It's not enough to make it look like we've... It, it It is what it is. We're taking that money out of our pockets. Yeah, and it's not like a... Um, a situation where the client says, oh, no, it's too much money, and you say, well, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> right. I actually, I can do it for $4,000 less. That's a bad move, I'd say. Yeah. Um, It's it's good to have these open lines of communication with your clients and and keep things uh, professional, but but, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not friendly, but you want to be comfortable and have uh, real conversations and be open about budgets and and, um, all those things so that, well, we understand that cost is an issue. It's usually number one. Um, yeah, that's why when people get all up in arms about us asking for a budget, I'm like confused because it's the most important thing at the beginning yeah. of a job is we need to know your budget. Yeah, because we can design around a specific number and say this is what you can get for this amount of money. Because mm-hmm. um, we're building it from scratch, so we can leave out the parts that take a lot of time and cost a lot of money and yeah and work around those things i could design you a table that costs 400 bucks yeah doesn't mean that you're gonna want it or that we're gonna want to build it but we could certainly design it yeah something that takes a a half a day with very little material and other things like big mike we made him that table Mm -hmm. that was uh, basically on spec we do some things on spec where we'll build something for a colleague that's in a different trade mike owns a restaurant we thought it was a good idea and a good trade to build him a table that he would put in his restaurant and put a sign up that says Green Street Joinery built this table. Yeah. 
That's a good example. Yeah. Um, if it's like a marketing kind of thing or yeah. advertisement kind of thing, certainly. Yeah, I mean, that was like, I think we charged them like 300 bucks or something. Mm-hmm. Just just pay for the material. Right. What's next? This is a good one. This is very uh, appropriate. What are you doing for hand tool storage? Yeah, I'm thinking about a small chest under my bench. Um, that's from Neil G. And we know that's Neil Tango Golf, Neil TG on Instagram. Uh, we've been talking about this. Yeah, this just came up uh, about a day or two ago. Yeah. So over here, we have, if you're listening, I'm pointing to my left. <laughs> Rob's bench is there. Mine is on the other side of the side door. Rob's bench is going to move down towards the door, and the shaper is going to go between Rob's bench and the bandsaw. So we were talking about maybe building a couple tool cabinets to go above the benches. I think yeah. that would be pretty cool. Yeah, the kind you open up and your planes and chisels are sitting in there and your yeah. walking tools. Um, so it'd be like a little bit of a labor of love. Um, and it would be, you know, really nice looking too. It'd be something we just enjoy having. Yeah, because um, I guess to answer your uh, question more Clearly, what am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> I have just a bunch of cobbled together little yeah. holders that I made like as as I went. So I have I made like a chisel rack and then I drilled holes in it to hold my burnisher, my marking gauge, uh, my chip breaker screwdriver, my fret saw. Then I got like my shoulder plane is sitting on that and my router plane is sitting on that. Then I have a thing to hold my Japanese saws and I have my mortise butt plane up there and my spoke shave. So it's all just cobbled together as, you know, haven't taken the time to, it's one of those things that gives me anxiety to think about how to lay something out like this and be, um, still be relevant when you get in new tools or replace tools that you already have. So it really has to be a conscious design. Well, you know, that's one uh, bonus for having these lifetime tools. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to replace your Lee Nielsen plane with the same type of plane. So that'll always have a spot. Um, yeah, that I'm with you. I have, it's like a, it's like a city that just grew without any master yeah. plan. No, ma- no, no city manager. <laughs> Oh, I got a new set of chisels. Got to hang them up somehow. Let's stick it here right next to the old chisels. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a real just, you know, catch as catch can kind of thing. And when you're busy, it's hard to, you know, these are these are projects that you'd spend multiple days on. Uh-huh. Um, and so carving that time out is very, very difficult. Uh, but... We'd love to have some really nice, dedicated little cabinets mm-hmm. um, where it, you know, the kind where it looks like it's almost a display when you open it up, but it's very functional. It's it's like a, a wall-mounted tool chest in a way. That would be awesome. Yeah, where the, the I don't want to say the lid, if it was a box, it would be the lid. Yeah, but the opens up. The, yeah, it. the door opens up, and that's actually like a cabinet in and of mm-hmm. itself, basically. Yep. Because we have the door there, and they can open up into the door, and then yeah. you just close it if you have to get out. Yeah, yeah, we don't use that door much anyway. No. 
So that's what we're doing. What, if I, let us know what you're doing. I mean, send yeah. us some pictures. Let's check it out. Yeah, Maybe give us some chest. inspiration. I'd say, um, you know, make sure your stuff is accessible. So if you do a chest under the bench, you, you don't want to have to be digging around in there constantly. <laughs> no. Yeah. Drawers are always good. Yeah. But uh, this is a uh, a long one. I actually I have to use the restroom, so maybe we'll just uh, I'll cut the podcast for a second, unless you want right. unless you want to talk some monk yourself. Uh, yeah, we'll talk talk amongst ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so while so while Jeff uh, takes a little bit of uh, an aside, uh, yeah, we've been going for an hour and a half now. Um, this is week three, uh, just Jeff and myself. And uh, we're getting on pretty well. We're enjoying our time, and we've adjusted to having just uh, two of us here in the shop, as you know, or maybe didn't. Rich retired at the uh, beginning of the year, and he's off uh, playing golf and drinking beer, uh, two of the things that he, I guess, needed more time to do. Um, what can I tell you? We're... we're uh, Excited about working on some projects coming up, and I'm just going to tread water here. I don't want to get into any new territory uh, until Jeff gets back. Um, I want to thank everybody that's been listening to us, and especially our patrons. It's it's unbelievable when uh, Jeff uh, sends me a text and he says, "Oh, we just got another patron," and I <laughs> I just have to laugh and I say, "I I can't believe." somebody is is paying us to do this you know it really helps us out quite a bit and uh, maybe one day um we'll actually earn enough to uh to do this for a day you run out of stuff to talk about yeah just about just about <laughs> i'm glad you're back they're just picking up the recycling <laughs> sammy's going crazy out there yeah so you want to read the question yeah we get a sip of water so it's yeah. a long one All right, here we go. Hey, guys, I didn't want to type a novel, but I hear you guys asking for more background. I'm a 26-year-old from Maryland with a degree in forest management, but in my third year of being a carpenter slash contractor. I've been into woodworking since high school, and it was the main reason I got into carpentry instead of a career in forestry. I have a basement workshop with a decent amount of machines and tools. I inherited oh, a decent amount of machines and tools I inherited from my grandfather. He was a cabinet maker slash master craftsman to the same quality as you guys. I appreciate that. Um, I recently built a spalted maple barn door for a family friend and decided to put an ad on Facebook saying, I can build custom barn doors in the style and dimensions you need. It got over 3,000 views and landed over 10 jobs in just under two months. But after listening to your podcast, I was really questioning my custom label. I have much respect to the craft, so my main question is, what makes it custom? If I'm building a specific dimension for the for their opening, does that make it custom? I would love to hear your take on this. And then there's a follow-up question. Um, no question in my mind, it's custom. No. And he's building them one at a time. Right. I mean, almost if they were all like similar to the point where you might not be able to tell them apart, they're still somewhat custom because... It's one guy making these by hand. Right. It's a, for this person. If if the dimensions happen to be the same, well, that's just because the door openings are the same. Yeah. 
like an analogy would be um, you build shaker benches mm -hmm. and you build them to size for the client. They need, I need one that's six feet long. I need one that's mm -hmm. 10. That's custom. Right. Just because it's a design that exists out there doesn't mean that it's not custom. That's right. You're building it for this specific client um, to their speci specifications. So that's what makes it custom. Yeah, I'll go back to the, the clothing analogy. When you have a suit made, for the most part, it's a, it's a, in a style. It's within a style that's well-established. Lapel width and all this other stuff. And the fabric is coming right. from the same place. Right. So it's just you choose the fabric, which is essentially like choosing maple or whatever, and somebody fits it to you. And right. that's the dimension. That's a full-on custom suit. And it's just built within the vernacular of... You know, a sports suit or an evening suit, something like that. So, yeah, yeah and I, I hope we're not making anybody self-conscious or questioning yeah. their... Um, it's custom. It's full-on custom. Yeah, absolutely. It's exactly what custom is. Yeah. Um, and then his follow-up question. Second, been wanting to launch an Instagram and start my woodworking business, but have been putting it off to build my portfolio. How long should you wait and how big should your portfolio be before launching your business? Thanks for the time and inspiration, John. John Welsh 21 on Instagram. Uh, I'm going to say right off, if you had 10 jobs in two months, you've already got a business. Yeah. <laughs> it's never it's never too early to start <laughs> plugging away on social media, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of us turn up our nose to the whole idea of, of social media and trying to develop your... Brand. It's like so cringy. Your brand mm -hmm. on social media. It is. It's 2021. You don't have a choice. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> do you want to die off with the dinosaurs or do you want to try and have your business flourish? I mean, it's especially you old guys out there. Yeah. Like people my age, get with it or go retire. Yeah, because... That's where people are finding yeah. these, you know, these things now. They're not looking through the yellow pages. And they're not even really searching for a website anymore. Like mm -hmm. when I got on the internet and built my first website, there was nobody there. And that's what drove most of my business. Yeah. Like if you look at our, our Google, um, like listing analytics, the traffic to the website from Google searches is nothing compared to the traffic no. that comes from Instagram and Facebook. That's where it's all at. And I started my business with no jobs. <laughs> and no portfolio <laughs> because I needed a job. Just a dollar and a dream. That was basically it. I put a sign in my front yard. You know, I might as well have been opening up a lemonade stand because yeah. that was that was what I had. We should think about that on the side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, man, you're already doing it. Yeah. So more power to you. And if you need confidence... I hope this gave you some. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say get that Instagram going. Yeah. Send yeah. us a, a, send over the link. We'll give you a follow. Yeah, definitely. More the merrier. Got another one from a patron here. It's from our buddy, Dave, Dave Meyer, uh, who is Dave never broke Meyer on Instagram. Oh man. That's <laughs> something we aspire to. Yeah. <laughs> what are your best practices for disposing of rags or towels used in applying oil-based finishes? I would like to know the safest way to dry and dispose of them. Thanks. Yeah. Again, super appropriate. We got some sitting right over there. <laughs> That's right. And probably not the safest <laughs> form of disposal. 
Yeah. We just kind of dry them on the edge of a pail. Yeah. Um, and usually in the warmer months, we, we have about a dozen or so those those plastic brute pails outside that we store wood in. So there's always a couple empty ones. And in the warmer months, we do it outside. We just set them outside and let them dry out. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of times in the summer, we'll have like a, a garbage can outside like mm-hmm. with garbage in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, for like uh, gloves that have finish on them yeah, and, yeah. And, um, and rags and stuff. And I, I like to like lay them on the top and if it rains, they get wet. Mm-hmm. Which I think that is probably the the recommended way is to soak them with water mm-hmm. and then throw them away. Yeah, like not let them sit anywhere. You they get soaked and then you throw them away and they get taken away or or you take them to the dump or something like yeah. immediately. We we should mention the type of oil we use. Is, yeah, it's t- pretty non toxic. Yeah, I don't know about the. The combustibility though of tongue oil. Yeah, but as far as like leaving it out and letting water oh yeah get yeah it that's no stuff that's no problem. It's it's really a, a non toxic thing. Yeah, I mean the thing you want to avoid is like crumpling up and having like a stack of them, right? Because then the, the heat can build up and they can actually spontaneously combust. We like we have a couple sitting over there. They're completely laid out open, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, tongue oil is a, a drying oil, as they call it, and it does doesn't evaporate, but it oxidizes and it does burn off, for like yeah, lack of a better yeah. term. So they yeah. will just kind of plasticize and get hard, and then at that point, I'm as far as I know, they're pretty benign. <laughs> yeah, then we just throw it away. Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna wash a rag out. Um, I'd say don't take our advice on that because we are just we're not experts flying by the seat of our pants, but. I'd, I've kicked around the idea of getting a red gar, a red metal yeah, garbage was, can. Um, even then, though, you could have a fire in the shop with that, and it could yeah. still be a problem. I mean, we'd probably wind up putting it outside the door if we had one. Yeah. Um, they're just, you know, supposed to be, like, fireproof or whatever because they probably don't let in oxygen. Yeah, it's like an ash for, like, ashes yeah, and stuff, yeah. I guess. I, um, when I was a finished carpenter, like, uh, a couple months before I started... They had a trailer, a dump trailer on a job, and they threw, the the floor guys threw a bunch of stain-soaked rags oh, in it geez. and actually set the trailer on fire. Yeah, that stuff. I mean, like the regular kind of... Like a minwax. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> Those things are an accident waiting to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's what we do. We we have a very specific finish we use, so it's it's non-toxic, and, and we don't use a lot. It's two guys here, so we don't have a lot of oily rags or anything. Um, but I would suggest doing your homework on it as well. Yeah. All right, Dave. So this next question, uh, Neil. Neil. So Neil again. James Brown or Parliament Funkadelic? I got to go with James Brown. Oh, yeah. Of course, the Godfather. Yeah. Not even close. Um, Parliament Funkadelic, from what I understand, is... A separate band from Parliament. Really? Yeah, I think they used a different lineup. Um, and, of course, they you know, they kind of get uh, intermingled. Um, but I'm really more of an old school guy. I do kind of like uh, some of that, that, that uh, the dance funk that uh, they did, you know. And... Um, they they broke some ground. Bootsy Collins on bass, 
it's yeah, arguably like, the like guy I couldn't. Who, I can't even really name a Parliament Funkadelic song. Granted, I'm uh, not from that that uh, that time. I didn't grow up in that yeah. time period, but like I listened to James Brown. I don't yeah. listen to Parliament. We want the funk. Yeah, all right, I know that song. That's a good funk. song. Yeah, uh, flashlight. You know, that was Bernie Worrell on keyboards who did the bass line, uh, you know, and it had all those, you know, those bends in it. So oh, he, yeah. he really was like the, the first guy to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they have obviously, you know, another classic giant of They don't music. have a line like this, though. I don't know karate, <laughs> but I know yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nobody touches James. I, I mean, know. that's just the way it is. He is a crazy man with jamma. <laughs> yeah, we love James Brown here. The and, funky uh, D. There might not even be Parliament Funkadelic without James Brown. I mean, they... Probably not. They they took it he in a completely... paved the way for a lot of yeah, people. different direction, but yeah, without James, there's, there's a lot of people that don't make it. Yeah. All right, so we settled that. <laughs> How much time do you, Jeff... Spend on social media. This is good. Patreon, etc. Answering messages, looking at comments, and generally communicating through that medium. Miles T, our patron. It, I'm gonna. I mean, Jeff will answer. I'm gonna say from my end, watching, it's an astounding number because it doesn't. It's not even relegated to a specific time. Like, oh yeah, between six and seven, I'm gonna work on it. It's something that has to happen all day long. And it goes on into the evening and it starts early in the morning before we even get to the shop. Yeah, so I actually when I uh when I saw this come in from Miles, I wanted to look at my screen time on my phone. Um, because it'll tell you yeah. how long you spend on these these apps. So let me see, I just pulled it up. It looks like, let's see. Now, is this going to be just for today or? This is daily average. Um, usually this comes up on like Sunday. It sends me like a little report. <laughs> <laughs> so you tell me. You're... So it looks like Instagram, I spent about. 49 minutes a day that was my my average i guess for last week hour and 39 minutes on social um, i'd say that sounds pretty accurate about an hour a day yeah um not all of that is like uh necessarily communicating with people i do browse and i mm -hmm. i uh, look at other people's stuff and um things like that i get patreon's not on there i i don't spend a lot of time on patreon um i try and you know uh, put some stuff up for you guys but it's mostly just the the after show that we do um the other thing is you're very good at it like if i was to try and do some of those same things it takes me quite a bit longer like even my simple instagram posts <laughs> you know <laughs> I, you you have to do these things like yeah. now i go on reddit all the time because mm -hmm. i'm i'm like one of those nut jobs that is on let's trade pedals so uh, i'm always swapping guitar pedals 
And I'm, I'll zoom over to Imgur, post a picture to Imgur, because with Reddit, you got to post an yeah. Imgur link. And then get back. Now, watch my thumbs fly through that. <laughs> so I am capable. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Because um, like an hour for me in Instagram time is like an eternity because... yeah. Like, I'll pop in, I'll be having a conversation with someone, I'll pop in, shoot a message. I mean, that takes five seconds, then pop back out. Yeah. I mean, all day, I'm literally While all you're day. doing something, you're working and you're answering a question to somebody. Yeah, I mean, for example, yesterday, I'm working on these feet, and I'm talking to uh, Wild Willie and... Um, uh, what's the guy's name we're talking to today? In Michigan. Is it Scott or Todd? I can't remember. Anywho, talking to him, sending videos back and forth, saying, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm doing this. Look at this. What do you think? Um, so, yeah, an hour is realistically a lot of time. Yeah, because you're, you're adept at it. Right. I mean, but it's it's a mandatory thing. We have to yeah. do this. This is, this is what's really driving a certain segment of our company right now. Mm -hmm. A lot of opportunity comes from being visible uh out there on social media. Yeah, I'd say um, the biggest thing that eats up time, like this week I didn't do any, but like editing mm -hmm. the YouTube videos. I mean, it takes, I had a kink in my neck for two weeks <laughs> after doing the, the two videos. I mean. Yeah, and John Peters talks about it all the time too. Yeah. Um, the, the folks don't realize the amount of post-production time it takes to make these things actually watchable yeah you sift through you know hours of footage to just make a five minute or a 15 minute yeah e video even yesterday i noticed so we're building this uh secretary armoire whatever we're calling it today and i'm working on a process jeff grabs the camera and sets the tripod up presses record he's you know so he's doing his job and following me around with the camera and he's filming all the stuff which is going to be hours of footage that he's going to have to thread together mm -hmm. and make sense of which is going to take a week probably um can so my, that's can a, my neck survive yeah that's a great question it's it's one of those hidden costs yeah you know because in in a sense he's not getting paid for that time and, and it's, an, it's an investment yeah it is it's an investment in the future um and hopefully uh i'm pretty confident it's gonna pay off you know yeah it'd be a wonderful wonderful day to see that happen mm -hmm. and uh you know get postcards from you and stuff like that <laughs> You'll be here in New Jersey. I'll be in Fiji. They take postcards at the nursing home? Yeah. That's right. Straight from here to the nursing home. Hey, you know, it wouldn't be that bad. You know, if that's, if that's how it goes. That's, it wouldn't be too bad. Mr. Barone, we got some mail for you. Yeah. Is, that from, is that from my boy Jeffrey? Oh, oh what Michael Steves on Instagram. Michael S., He's asking, just getting into woodworking, what would be the vet, the best first power tool to buy and get started? Well, it's tough to say. Um, let's just assume that you have no power tools at all, I guess. Yeah. You got to go with a drill and driver. Yeah, yeah. You really uh, can't get anywhere <laughs> yeah. without those. No. 
You're going to use those to put things together, to take things apart, to make jigs and fixtures. Yeah. And I don't um, think there's anything we use more except for maybe the table saw. Yeah, I mean, I have four of them over there at the bench, and I wish I had about another half a dozen. Yeah, and I have three, so <laughs> they're constantly scattered around yeah. our little shop. Actually, I have five. Yeah, that's right. Um, if you mean something like a machine, we'd obviously say the table, table saw. saw. Yeah. Um, so there's your two answers, drill driver and table saw, if that's sort of where you were heading with that question. Um, we tackled this question or something similar weeks and weeks ago, mm -hmm. and we debated it, and those were the answers we really settled on. Yeah. Yeah, that was, man, that feels like a long time ago. I know. I wish I could say, like, yeah, uh, check out episode seven. If yeah, no. We I know no, it wasn't seven. You have no idea. But if you have any questions about those things, you know, feel free to drop us a line. Yeah. We got, you know. Yeah, I want to say it's in like around like episode 10, maybe we talked about that. Yeah. Um, I can't guarantee that that's where no. it is, but. All right. You want to read this next one? Yeah. I'll Steve C. Uh, what is your favorite project and or most memorable project? Oh, this is two questions I got stuck together. So far. Yeah. What is your, well, you see here, it's, oh. this is actually two questions. What is your favorite project and or most memorable project so far? Not necessarily a Green Street project, just one from... Is that supposed to say which? From which of you? Oh, from each of you. From just one from each of you. Ah. An all-time kind of thing that sticks out from Dustin F., one of our patrons out in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, I see. You didn't use the space in between those yeah, two questions. Yeah, I Yeah. Yeah, because I started right. reading it, and then I'm, I saw Steve. I'm like, this isn't the question Steve asked. So Dustin's... Want to know what our most memorable projects have been. Yeah, not necessarily Green Street, but just in general. One from each of us all-time favorite. Wow, that's... That's a tough question. <laughs> and I've had a little bit of time to think about it. I haven't been thinking about it hard, but... Go, you want to go first or no? I tell you... I, I could pick one um, that, you know, that it's like trying to choose between your children. I'm going to say um, this kitchen that I did um, in cherry, it was small enough to where, where I could, you know, grain match the whole job. And it was one of those jobs where things just went well. <laughs> You know, that doesn't always happen. There were a lot of really finicky parts of this job. Um, like the cabinets had to get stepped back so they wouldn't block the windows. And it was a crazy door situation. There was a lot of things. Um, the, there was such a limited spot. Like some cabinets had to share a wall that wouldn't necessarily be that way. And it just came out really nice. And I was happy with it. And um, I remember it for that reason, that it was a, you know, a real feeling of contentment when I finished and there was no agita, no aggravation. You're like, man, this was like, I had all the odds against me. <laughs> yeah, and I just exactly. And knocked it out. Like, you know, when you do something and you're surprised you did, it. <laughs> like I was expecting something to go wrong there. Yeah, oh yeah. Every day. <laughs> so I'll pick that one. Um. Yeah, I'm going to shoot from the hip. This one popped into my head uh, as a finished carpenter. This is probably 2015. Um, 
working on a historic home in Monmouth Beach, which is uh, right on the ocean. The house isn't on the ocean. It's a town right on the ocean in this barrier island that's right here, a couple miles up the road from us on the Atlantic Ocean. Um, house from mid-1800s. We did an addition in the back and uh, an addition on the second floor. Basically bumped out two floors. New kitchen, new flooring everywhere, et cetera, et cetera. So under the stairs was a little closet, you know, the door. So in there, I actually did the flooring, walnut flooring. I did all the sheetrock because this kind of got like thrown onto me like at the Mm -hmm. end of the job. Um, We actually, I didn't even do the trim in the house. That was subbed out because we were so busy. But, you know, as it always happens, we come in to fix all the little things (laughs) and do do all the built-ins and stuff. So I did the flooring, the sheetrock, the taping, everything underside of the stair all that the walls and then i built the whole thing out as like a china closet nice so there were on the sides little um shelves with the little dowel you know the little dowel things for for displaying plates and uh i had made felt line drawers and and silverware dividers and stuff tray dividers it was really cool really really nice folks i actually spoke to the homeowner not that long ago because I had, we, we routinely get people reaching out to ask about refinishing and mm-hmm. we don't do refinishing. Yeah. Um, it's a very specialized kind of thing and it's going to cost you an arm and a leg if we try and do it because we don't do it. We're, no. It's not what we're good at. So we, <laughs> we're expensive at what we're good at. So we're going to be yeah. more expensive at what we're not. Um, so I, uh, I knew that she had a good refinisher. So I spoke to her, um, really nice people. And it was just a really fulfilling job to do the whole thing from start to finish and then see it get painted. Yeah. And it was, it was cool. It, it makes me think of um, like those psychological surveys that they would give people about job satisfaction. And the thing about like assembly line workers, the job satisfaction, part of why it's so low is because they never see a project come to fruition. Mm-hmm. They're just engaged in a small part. And that's the opposite of what you just described. Yeah. You know, you see it all the way through and then you look back and go, man, I did this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some jobs like we would trim out and then never see, never go back mm-hmm. to see it painted. Yeah. Um, you know, typically you would have some punch list, list stuff at the very, very end of the job, bathware, bathroom, uh, hardware, stuff like that. But um, some of these jobs you just never made it back to. Yeah. And it's like a open-ended story like you never saw the end there's no closure yeah so that was a cool one and i was still i mean i was still cutting my teeth really yeah so each one of the like you felt relied on and and humbled to be left to do like nobody was saying put this here and do Mm -hmm. no it was all on me to figure it out yeah um so it was fulfilling you know that's a great process yeah yeah, actually, I sent you pictures of my very first walk-in closet that yeah, I built. That yeah. was, man. That was no small job either. It was huge. It was um, about half the size of the shop, about a 400-square-foot <laughs> walk-in closet in Red Bank in another very, very old picture. home. Like, <laughs> Original parquet floor. And that picture, those pictures didn't even show a lot of it. Yeah, I lived in smaller apartments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, that was like 15 sheets of plywood or yeah, something in that. Oh, God. All site built, 
you know, there was a, the bedroom and then this long hallway that went around the side and then you turned into the master closet and then the master bathroom was right there. So I built everything in the bedroom <laughs> with a table saw and a chop saw and routers and carried it all yeah. around and it was insane. Wow. Angled shoe shelves and a, and a makeup counter yeah, with yeah. radius shelves. I was like, 20. <laughs> Kept see. waiting for somebody to come in and help you. <laughs> well, I'd have guys that are like, how long you been doing this? I'm like, ah, two years. They're like, man. <laughs> but that's how you learn. It's just getting yeah. thrown in, thrown to the wolves and right. just figured out. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Uh, and usually you, you don't get um, any accolades. You just, you know, you do the job and everybody goes, all right, good job, Jeff. Yeah, I was making $14 an hour or something. <laughs> the only time they really notice you is when you screw something up. Yeah. That job, too. Like, we built a laundry chute. <clears throat> so they bought a vanity that had a slat bottom. I had to cut the vanity apart, make a door, <laughs> cut a hole in the floor with a thing, you know, make a chase that goes yeah, down to the yeah. first floor. It was crazy. That sounds like fun, though. Yeah. And, yeah, man, now that you put it that way, thinking back, I'm like, yeah, I'm just some guy making 14 bucks an hour. Yeah. Oh, like man, busting were, out stuff that you were a money maker. Oh yeah, that's why I left when they couldn't give me any more money. Because I'm like, yeah, you've been you've been making a mint off my that's sweat it. for that's five it. years. Yeah, if he was smart, he would have thrown you a couple of bucks, and you know, yeah, he didn't even put up a fight. Yeah, that's all right. All right, so now we get on to Steve C's yes. question. Who was Coop Skateboards on Instagram? We know Steve. What do you use for laying up wood veneers to plywood? Well, we just don't really do it. <laughs> no, we don't. Um, we have very little call for it. Yeah. Um, the few small things we've had to do, it's just clamps and a platen, mm -hmm. you know, like a, a big flat piece of wood, um, you know, underneath the clamps. Uh, I guess if we had a job that demanded it, we either look to borrow or get access to somebody's vacuum, vacuum bag. Yeah. Um, and if it really warranted it, we'd go out and buy something. Yeah. I mean, we, we have a decent amount of experience with vacuum bags. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've all done it at other shops um, for both, you know, veneers, uh, shop made veneers, commercially available veneers and uh, like uh, for mica stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we, we don't really have a a need to use veneers at this point. No, I mean, like the back of this cherry cabinet, we're just going to use a piece of cherry plywood. And, you know, you can specify what type of veneer you want. Yeah, we have, um, what is it, A1 or whatever. Yeah, it's, yeah. you know, just a high-grade cherry. just ask them for what's the best-looking yeah. veneer you have on, uh, you know, you can even specify the type of core you want. Yeah. So it's... It's pretty readily available and, and good to go. I guess if it was something exotic, I mean, you can even get that stuff now. On, yeah. You know, you order it. You get Wengi on MDF or, uh -huh. I mean, whatever. You, uh, places like Atlantic Plywood actually lay up veneers uh, yeah. custom, I believe. Well, we know Steve makes a lot of skateboards, so yeah. he's he's laminating a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's part of That's really in his wheelhouse. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to have a vacuum bag here just to have it and use yeah, it for... Yeah, it'd be fun. You know, it's like anything. Just another tool in the quiver. Yeah, yeah. But um, until the day comes that we... 
For example, this job that I just sent the price out today, the species on the credenza, it's a wine cabinet credenza, this whole wall with mirrors, the species is undetermined, but maybe we were talking about doing quarter sawn sycamore, mm-hmm. um, which not that easy to find. <laughs> we were trying to find and, it. And, you know, sycamore is very unstable, so that could be a situation where can we fit $500 into the cost to get a mm-hmm. vacuum bag and get some yeah. veneer? Well, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have to juggle some of the numbers around and yeah. see what you come up with. Uh, so that's it. We're pretty primitive as far as that goes. We do it, you know, uh, with the pressure. <laughs> yeah. When we build like doors, we just build them solid. Yeah. Like, yeah. uh, you know, we've, we build these big barn doors and stuff and they weigh, you know, they might weigh a couple hundred pounds. Yeah. Cause all everything's solid wood. It's yeah. just, it's. It's the way we do things. It's how we're geared up as a shop and all those other things. So it's not always just a, you know, um, uh, a point where it's like, well, this is how we do it and we don't do it any other way. It's just, it's the most practical for us in many. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the cost is already so much to build this door. I'm going to all of a sudden inject all this extra labor Mm -hmm. into making a composite core on the door and then putting a skin on it and on the back and on the sides, top, bottom. For us, it's just easier to build it out of solid wood and then just get a better hinge that can handle the weight. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, because everybody knows the labor is the most expensive part. Yeah. And, and, And so we're the most expensive part of the job. If we could save time by doing it, out of hardwood instead of laying up veneers, yeah. it's cheaper. I could see if it's something highly figured, like you've mm-hmm. done the bird's eye maple yeah, panels out of veneer or the um, stuff like quarter sawn butternut that's not easy to find. Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely see the use for it. Uh, just, again, like you said, we we stick to what we know and for the most part and yeah. only branch out when it's and Those door feasible. panels, they're like eight, nine inches yeah. by maybe 15 inches tops, mm-hmm. you know, for a little kitchen. Um, so it's easy to do with a bunch of clamps and, uh, and the glue, the special glue. Cause you know, yep. it has a, just the right amount of setup time and everything. And that, that's going to bring us to uh yeah, thoughts on it. the beer that's, of the week. That's what we got this week. You know, we, I don't, we might have to rethink this one bottle of uh, beer. Yeah. You, you <laughs> took that out quick. This one was small. I was thinking about grabbing two, but Actually, it's the right amount of beer for us, really, you know. Yeah. It is. Yeah, I mean. We're not big drinkers. I we, got work to do when I get home. Yeah, we, we have to go through the day still. Yeah. and So uh, I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, I, I wouldn't say I could definitely taste it as pineapple, although if I thought about it, I'd say yes. But it, it had, definitely had a fruity... Um, you know, like zest to it. Like it was bright uh, in in that sense and crisp. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I liked it. It ha- actually has uh, some food pairings here. Huh. Savory tacos al pastor, <laughs> torta de jamón, and ceviche de camarón. Shrimp, ham. Ham sandwich. <laughs> yeah. And shrimp ceviche. Did I say shrimp sandwich? Ham sandwich. Ham sandwich. Cheese, yeah. queso chihuahua, queso añejo, and queso Oaxaca. Lunch, mil mascaras. What's that? I don't know. Mascara. Thousand masks. What is that? 
I have to look that up. Blue Demon. Oh, Luchadores. It's wrestlers. <laughs> Blue Demon and El Santo. I don't know what they're getting at with that if they're talking about Lucha Libre. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, place. I mean, there must be some sort of Mexican connection with the artwork and yeah, the food. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Yeah, Pina Cielo is the name of the beer. Yeah. A.K.A. Scully Barrel. Huh. <laughs> Scully Barrel. Oh. Oh, we missed this part of the bottle. A.K.A. Scully Barrel number 57. Fruit has an afterlife. Fermentation begins a process of transformation that refines fruits to their essence, a pure reflection of one season and one place. This tepache... Oh, okay. So it's inspired by tepache, which is like a Mexican fermented drink. Mm. Um, Inspired wild sour golden ale began with the open fermenting of whole pineapples in our 300-gallon cool ship. Ceylon cinnamon and dark brown sugar were added to further the evolution of flavors and hint at this drink's origins in pre-Columbia, Mexico. Salud. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. It really was pretty interesting. And um, another beer that was not as beer-like as uh, you might think. Yeah, if I'm going to drink just like one beer, mm-hmm. I might as well have something unique. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've yeah. had... I've had uh, one of those beers. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. It's it's a beverage. It's mm-hmm. it's nice and it was really cold too. So yeah. it was tasty. Um, so uh, tool of the week. It's uh, it's on our website. Yeah, we have a, a link in the description. Um, in the you know on the uh, sorry, bumbling on my words here. In the uh, podcast description yeah. on the YouTube video, check us out on YouTube. We just hit a thousand subscribers. Which yeah, I was thank cool. you, all the subscribers out there. Yeah, really means a lot to us. Yeah. Uh, thank you to our gold tier patrons: David Murphy, Manny Siriani, Eric, Dustin Fair, Fair, and Adam Podhast. <laughs> we have we have a discussion every week yeah. over Dustin. Fair like mayor. <laughs> we appreciate it, guys. It means a lot. Yes. If you didn't know, every week we do a, an after show for the patrons. So we'll put up a 30 or 45 minute um, little bonus show where we talk about all kinds of stuff, not necessarily woodworking related. Mm-hmm. We'll always tie it back in somehow. But, um, you know, these guys mean a lot to us. So we, we give them a nice little show. Yeah, we try our very, very best. Yeah. Uh, so everybody be well out there. Take care of yourselves. And uh, please come back next week. Yeah, we'll see you next week for 22. Yes. This was episode 2021. 21 and 2021. <laughs> 2201. Yes. <laughs>